This is The Good List. I'm Tish Oxenreiter. And in this episode, I'm joined by my friend, Seth Haynes, who's actually going to be joining me for the next couple episodes, because we're going to be doing a series of conversations where we're going to be talking about a topic we both really like a lot. So if you already like what I talk about here on The Good List, I think you're going to like this topic too. So Seth, before we get into the topic itself and why we both care about it so much, let's talk a little bit about you. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? All right. First off, I can't imagine anyone I'd rather be having this conversation with than you. So thanks for doing this. This is going to be a fun time. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I can't wait. So I'm kind of a jack of all trades. I live in the Arkansas Ozarks, which I think are the Ozarks proper, uh, with my wife, Amber, and four boys. uh, I'm an attorney, uh, communications consultant, do a little bit of marketing. I'm a writer, as you know. Um, I've partnered with a lot of authors over the years. In fact, I think at last count, it was somewhere around 25 books uh, that I've worked on in the last four years. Uh, I've written two of my own books. Uh, One came out this year. It's called The Book of Waking Up, Experiencing the Divine Love That Reorders a Life. Um, And it's all about the topic that we're going to be talking about, really, sacramentality. So yeah, Yeah. I love stories. I love podcasts. I love your work. And so I'm really excited to be here. And I don't know if my book is one of those 25 you count, but you edited my book at Home in the World. And I basically had such a great experience working with you on that, that I've said, I want to work with Seth on every book I write ever since then. So um, you do really good work. And it is, I had no idea you've done 25 books. That's a lot of books. Yeah, I had to count them up last year. Yeah, I had to count them up last weekend. And um, it was actually insane. I was, I was pitching a project. And they said, hey, how many books have you worked on in the last four or five years? And so I started counting them up. And I did include yours on that list. And, okay. and I actually put yours on a very short list when I pitched the project and said, hey, look, I worked on this travel memoir. Um, and the nice. reason I did it was because it was actually a really good book and a lot of fun to work with you. That's very cool. I love it. Yep. Okay. So you are a jack of all trades. I forget you do all the things you do. Um, we are going to call this conversational series that we're doing a drink with a friend. And there's a number of reasons for this one. We just kind of I don't know. We like the idea of having drinks with friends. Um, There's something also about this idea of as we end a work week where we're all um, kind of just decompressing by way of wanting to talk with friends. um, That's sort of the vibe we're going for in this conversation. And then I think in particular, it's especially poignant um, in the year of our Lord 2020, whenever you know, even if you live in a basically the suburbs and you have to drive to go anywhere, I think we all long for a sort of sense of neighborhood, community, pub likeness when we get to talk with friends after just a week of a lot of adulting and a lot of just, you know, doing what we have to do. And so this conversation we're going to talk about um, or talk as though we're just across a bar table or a coffee table, just talking about the week and what's on our mind. But it might surprise some of Seth's readers that we're calling it this because of your work, Seth, in the space of sobriety and addiction. So Seth, talk a little bit about what this idea means to you. Yeah. So um, particularly when we're talking about sobriety, one of the things I always like to tell people is, you know, sober people still like to drink too. 
I mean, we have to drink too. Everybody has to drink, right? <laughs> now, our choices may differ. Uh, we may drink things um, that are less inebriating, as we shall say, less uh, you know potent maybe than we would have at one point in our lives. But we still like to have drinks with friends. We still love to have drinks with friends. In fact, over the last probably three years, um, I worked pretty much exclusively out of this little coffee shop right before COVID. And one of my dear friends there was named Maisie Cochran. And Maisie is an editor for uh, a publisher. She publishes and edits fiction. Um, and she is a blast to hang out with and to talk with. And we would just put heads down and work all day. Um, and then at the end of the day, man, we would just order a coffee and sit down and kind of talk about our work and um, I would talk about my work that's primarily in faith spaces, but not exclusively. And she would talk about her work that was primarily in uh, secular spaces and and like non-faith spaces. Um, and we found that even as we talked and laughed and shared life, that our work actually got better uh, just because we were riffing off of each other and um, sharing, you know, ideas that we wouldn't have had, you know, on our own. So I think the idea of sharing drinks with friends and sharing ideas with friends and making meaning with friends is super important, particularly, as you say, in this year of our Lord 2020, which is the year of chaos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I really like that those of us who maybe don't know much about sobriety because it's not really been... Well, of course, the way you frame it is we all are attached to something. So that's a whole other episode we can get into. But you um, are definitely bringing to light some things that I just don't think about very often. So I'm really glad um, that you are someone in my life that reminds me that sobriety is not um, really about drinking or not drinking. And it's about where our attachments lie. Yeah, I think that's, you know, for for me, that's been the thing that has really freed me up, opened me up is to say, look, sobriety is not about uh, to drink or not to drink. Like That is not the question. Uh, the question is, where are our attachments oriented? Um, and, and for me, um, my primary attachment is, is to God and to the divine love through Christ. Um, I have friends who don't orient, orient their primary attachments that way, but to remain sober, they have to orient their attachments first to things that are more, more stable, more solid, uh, things that don't, you know, drag them down into the well of addiction, so to speak. So, um, yeah, for me, sobriety is all about primary attachment, not about drinking or not drinking. And that is why I can say, um, that I like to share drinks with friends, even though my drink choice today lacks a little bit to be desired. (laughs) Well, that's a good segue into what we're going to be drinking today. So, Seth, what's in your cup right now? Yeah, this is super unfortunate that our first series, our first episode of the series, <laughs> Drinks with Friends, I'm drinking a Propel uh, electrolyte water uh-huh. beverage. That's literally <laughs> what the bottle says. Um, it's that's funny. It's the grape version, which means it's probably, you know, super healthy for me. Um, And yeah, so I haven't really had any water or electrolytes all day today and I have to go work out. And when your body works out, when you're going to move it in a way that is uh, sacramental, as we'll talk about, I'm sure at some point, uh, you got to have water and electrolytes. So that's what I'm drinking. I'm sorry it's not better. But what are you drinking? (laughs) It's good. I actually like that you went lowbrow. Um, for our first one. So I'm drinking, um, it's called Hot Cinnamon Sunset Tea by Harney and Sons. If you have listened to this podcast before, you've heard me talk about this. It is a tea 
I like. It makes me feel a little fancy. It's caffeinated, but not heavily so. And we're talking in the afternoon. And the afternoon is when I need a little tiny bit of a boost, but not coffee because that will not go well because I'm 43 now. <laughs> and I just can't drink coffee past noon anymore. Um, and so tea is my like middle ground. And this tea also allows me to pretend like it's fall, even though it is fall, but I'm talking in Texas. And um, the high yesterday was 96 degrees. So I'm, I'm willing the weather to go down by drinking fancy cinnamon tea so that it at least tastes like fall in my mouth. It's not going to feel like it on my skin. Yeah. I mean, so. that's unfortunate that it was 96 degrees outside. I'm sorry for that. <laughs> that's a wreck. Yeah. It's a mess. It's not good. October when we're recording this is a, um, a tease around here because you think it's going to be nice and chilly when you wake up and it's just not. So anyway. Yeah. This is kind of our first day where I dropped down into the sixties and, um, I'm not going to lie to you. I put on the sweater, even though it's still a little warm for the sweater. I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. I walked outside in the sweater today and, um, and feel fall coming. And so maybe I need to get some of that tea. I don't have any cinnamon tea. I dropped Tate off at her friend's house this afternoon. She's wearing like athletic shorts and a sweater because she wanted to wear a sweater. I told her, did you pack a t-shirt? Uh, because you're going to feel ridiculous. She's like, yeah, I did. <laughs> I want to pretend like I can wear a sweater. Yeah, anyway. yeah, totally. Okay. So let's get into the heart of our series here. The idea of living sacramentally or really just sacramentality. And I think for this first one, it's best if we just talk about what the heck we even mean by that. Like, what does this word mean? Because we're going to be talking about it for quite a while. And yet, if we just keep using it, it you know, without actually defining it well, people are going to be confused. Um, and I think partly because this word sounds somewhat churchy or intangible, just kind of this like adjective. Um, and it's a broad topic, actually. But you and I have grown to appreciate this idea so deeply in our lives, especially the past few years, and both offline and on. So Seth, I think you should start us off with just explaining a little bit more about what we mean when we use the word sacramentality and sacramental. What do you mean by that? Yeah, this is really one of my favorite topics. One of the things that I really enjoy talking about uh, the most. There's this old uh, passage uh, from the scriptures, and it was actually a passage that I first heard in the fourth grade at all school mass at Immaculate Conception Catholic School in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And it was the responsorial psalm. I'd never been to a mass before. I was a little boy, and I had no idea what I was getting into. And the religion teacher who knew I was Baptist uh, at the time said to me, we're going to have this responsorial time and we're, uh, you know, the, there's going to be a person at the front and they're going to read some scriptures and then you're going to respond. And this is what you're going to say. And what I was supposed to say was, I believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So Psalm 27, 13, and it's one of these, um, sort of responses that kind of haunted me my whole life. I'm, uh, you know, maybe a little bit prone to melancholy. I like to wear dark colors. Uh, I like dark comedy, um, really weird sort of dark science fiction. Um, and so uh, this idea of the goodness of God in the land of the living is is sort of a foil to my natural bent. Um, but when I talk about sacramentality, that's really what I mean, um, that, that God has created good things and put them in the world to sort of draw us into his goodness. And I actually wrote about this in the book of waking up. Um, and so if it's cool, I want to read a little bit. 
I want you to read a little okay. bit. I want you to read a lot of it. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, I won't read a lot of it because uh, that, you know, I'd get carried away. I'd read all day. Uh, but the passage, um, this is this is from passage uh, 21 um, in the book, which is on page, I think, 22 or 23. Pleasure. What is it but an icon, a portal meant to draw us into the life and love of God? This is a poor man's working definition of the $10 word sacramental. As Alexander Schmemann put it in his book, Eucharist, Sacrament of the Kingdom, God's creation has a certain sort of sacramentality. He wrote, for the world was created and given to man for conversion of creaturely life into participation in divine life. So to me, that's what it means. That's what sacramentality means. It's, you know, we recognize the stuff of earth and how it's meant to draw us into union and connection uh, with something bigger, something more divine. For the layman, or maybe I should say the person that maybe is listening that isn't super, I guess I could say faith oriented or a Christian or something. Um, could you take, could you break it down even a little bit more and explain what you mean in just really uh, gritty cerebral, I mean, not cerebral terms? Yeah. So for, for me, sacramentality has got zero to do um, with whether or not you ascribe to my faith. I think you can still have a sacramental outlook. I mean, you know, one of the things that I know that we both love about literature is that um, it, it tackles transcendent universal themes, right? Like good literature goes there. Um, it doesn't just look at uh, one particular story arc, but the good story arcs uh, really do deal with uh, bigger transcendent themes. And, and every time, every time you look at those transcendent themes in really good literature, uh, what happens? You're always mucking around in the messy concrete parts of life, right? You know, it's um, conversation shared over a good meal or it's a journey uh, that, you know, it takes your, your body to walk a thousand miles to Mordor or whatever. You know, it's it's uh, the gifts um, uh, given to you along the journey. Um, and so I think in any of these sort of settings in, in literature, when you're dealing with these transcendent themes, like the tangible stuff of the story that draws you into that universality or into that big theme, um, those are the sacramental themes. And so uh, I think if you're a complete atheist, you can say, look, there's something bigger. There's a bigger, more transcendent current in the world. Um, and as I navigate that current, I get all these good things along the way. They draw me deeper into that current. They help me to realize that I'm not alone. They help me to realize that I'm connected to others, that I'm connected to nature, that I'm connected to people. Um, and it's those things, you know, it's the apple, the bread, uh, the wine, if you can drink wine, um, the friendship, it's, it's sex, it's children, um, it's the pine cone that falls uh, unexpectedly at your feet. It's the turning of the leaves, these things that draw us into the bigger story. Um, these, these are the sacraments of the world that sort of draw us into that transcendence. Mm -hmm. And I think even, you know, to come full circle, this idea of calling this series of conversations a drink with a friend, I think the act of um, conversation with a friend is about one of the most sacramental things that we have grown to appreciate this year in 2020 when it so rarely happens now yeah. that, that we are reminded of our commonality and our otherness um, and what we're really here for, yeah. <laughs> which is not, it, it's not what we think it is most of the time. Whenever we are doing something as simple as having a drink with a friend. Yeah. 
So. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things um, that you've been so good about over the years and, and just to brag on you a little bit, cause I really like this about you. Um, like it's really easy to get sucked into uh, all kinds of stuff, you know, stuff, uh, status or, or money, or even how much you travel or even, um, you know, what kind of car you drive. I know those are shallow things or what kind of clothes you wear, what your style is, how many Twitter followers you have, all of these things. I think, uh, all of a sudden, at least for me this year, um, and you know, I try to be pretty aware and mindful of those things, but I think even as the pandemic hit, I sort of moved into my own isolation. Like we all did. I kind of looked up and said, huh, those things really aren't doing anything for me during this pandemic. And, and it really did ground me back into stuff that matters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this pandemic, if it's taught us anything, it's taught us, gosh, what do we actually need? <laughs> and, yeah. and what is it we truly want when it comes down to it? Because yeah, those things that we can still connect with, like social media metrics, gosh, um, those, those don't really satisfy that much. And they, they don't really say much about what life is or why we are here. Um, and so to me, you know, this will be a future episode as well, but things like social media metrics to me are almost about as polar opposite of sacramentality as you can get um, that we are aware of in, in our modern age, our postmodern age. Um, so there's a, I like that you brought up literature because we'll, we'll talk about that more later, but um, there's a poet named Elizabeth Barrett Browning that a lot of people know. Um, she is widely read 19th century British author. And I remember reading her a lot when we did do our backpack around the world, our backpacking travels around the world. And she's got this quote that is probably her most famous one. And it's um, that earth crammed with heaven and every common bush a fire with God, but only he who takes off his shoes, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. And if I could summer, if I could, you know, get a pull quote about what sacramentality has meant to me over the years in, you know, two sentences, that would probably be it. Mm. It's this idea of choosing to see yeah. and that that seeing almost uh, like if you're truly seeing, you're going to take off your shoes because you can't not. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I have in mind. And I know we're getting, you know, this is getting a little ethereal and not so concrete, but um I don't know, as we move into more um, tangible topics like social media, like working out, like parenting, um, I don't know, to me, a really uh, a helpful way for me to think about it is, is this causing me to take off my shoes or is it causing me to want to go and pluck blackberries? Um, Whatever version that is of 2020, is it causing me to want to scroll Twitter? (laughs) Is it causing me to want to stop and read poetry? Yeah, there's this... um poem that that makes me think of now, man, we're going poetry already. How are we doing this? Oh man. <laughs> Cause we're us and it, we're big nerds. It didn't take us long, but there's this E.E. E. No. Cummings poem. Um, and, uh, there's E.E. E. Cummings poem that starts, I thank you God for most this amazing day. And, hmm. um, and at the end of this poem, and it's called, I thank you God for most at the end of this poem, he says, how could seeing, hearing, tasting, breathing, any. So how can, you know, if you use any of these senses, um, how can any of us that do that who are lifted from the earth doubt the unimaginable capital Y you, how could any of us doubt the unimaginable you? And what he's saying is like, if you can use your senses, if you can see, if you can breathe, if you can taste, touch, hear, 
um, then how in the world could you not but experience God in the world around you? Right. When you, when you, uh, breathe the, the, I think a lot about, uh, when we were actually in Tuscany together, uh, a group of us and, and there was the jasmine, those jasmine bushes that were all along the mm-hmm. wall. And I mean, you get out of the van and it like punches you in the face and, right. and, and smelling that like the goosebumps raise on your arms and that like the tingle in the back of your brain. And like, if, if you experience that, how could you not know something of transcendence in the world around you. If you can um, eat the gelato uh, that literally makes your eyes roll to the back of your head and makes you want more, 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 like how could you not mm-hmm. say that there's something really transcendent in this world? To me, that sacramentality. Yeah. And you know, the official term, I think like from the capital C church is that a sacrament is an outward sign of an inward grace. And so, you know, this is why the Catholic church has seven official sacraments yet claims admits that the world is full of sacraments because God reveals his nature in all sorts of ways inside and outside the church. Um, And so what you just said, I think hints at this thing you and I have talked about before, which we can get into more later is this idea of beauty and this idea of beauty being the thing that actually draws us to truth instead of maybe the other way around. Um, Do you have anything you want to say about that, especially um, in this year and, and kind of our, I don't know, as we've all quarantined away from just getting to do what we want and are forced to reckon with, with the stuff in our lives. Yeah. I mean, you and I've kind of talked about this a lot, right? This idea that, that there's an apologetic, a a way of arguing faith that is uh, bigger than just facts or Bible verses or whatever. It's this emotional apologetic. It's that you can't help again, going back to Cummings, you can't help, but see and smell and, and hear and breathe in uh, the fact that there is something transcendent bigger than you operating in the world uh, around you. Um, And, and for me, you know, in my spiritual journey, I can just say like beauty has always been the thing that's pulled me uh, farther and deeper in. Um, It's been the thing that has anchored me uh, when people say, Hey, your interpretation of the scriptures is wrong, you know, or, Hey, you should think this way, or you should think that way. Or in our age, outside of religion, when it's like, Hey, those facts that you believe aren't really facts, they're false. Um, and both sides are saying that to each other. Um, there's gotta be something bigger that like holds me personally, or else I'll just go into despair. Right. And for me, that thing has always been the beautiful the things that are, are good and true and beautiful, which is, is obviously not my phraseology or yours either, but, um, but the, the beautiful there, the beauty, that's the thing that's always kind of like captured me and held me and said, okay, you are moving to something bigger, to something more transcendent. So I just, I look for the beauty uh, in the world around me as much as I can. Mm-hmm. And I think beauty is one of the few things, I mean, maybe one of the only things I can think of that actually doesn't really serve a concrete purpose. Like, um, the sun could set in a non-beautiful way, you know, um, it would have been done, at, you know, in a, some sort of similar way as like some beige cubicle, but 
it's beautiful and it's been happening for millennia and yet it still stops us in our tracks, you know, um, a sunset. And so to me that has to, I mean, that can't not be some form of sacrament because there's no other purpose for it. Yeah. You know, other than to point to the divine. I think it would be interesting if you tried to write a short story in which everything happened in the most unsacramental way possible. (laughs) So, so, so right. The, right. The sun going down is like being in a cubicle on a dimmer switch. Like it just dims, it just dims. (laughs) down in the most boring way possible oh my gosh that sounds awful to read (laughs) (laughs) and you that's funny because you wrote I was just reading something you read or you wrote on your blog about reading being a form of sacramentality and so to me I would be forcing readers to I don't know do the opposite of what I want them to do with my writing. Yeah, but, sounds but, miserable, but, but maybe it would uh, maybe it would expand our imaginations for um, really how beautiful mm-hmm. the world is in a way around us, like in that sort of almost parody satirical way of, of saying, "Hey, like here's how boring it could be. Um, mm-hmm. Here's how good it is." And in fact, you know, as we're riffing now, as we're having drinks with friends, um, you know, I think about how everything seems so dark and polarized and angry right now, like particular in social media. And I just think, man, there is so much goodness in the world and we are so blind to it because we're so taken with all this rage and vitriol and polarization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, kind of another definition I can think of with sacramentality, and this was the one that would make my kids' eyes roll, is that which uh, builds character in us. And I say that because whenever I bring something up to my kids and they ask, but why? And there's not really any other good reason other than because it's good for you is because it builds character, because that's what Calvin's dad says in Calvin and Hobbes. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, put on a sweater instead of turning on the heat because it builds character. Mm -hmm. Um, And so to me, that's what I think of with so much of the sacrament of life that we're choosing to ignore by, you know, scrolling Twitter Mm -hmm. instead of um, stopping to read a poem um, is that those things that are sacramental are what they are because they build character in us. And so therefore they're good for us. Um, And so like, you know, I'm a high school teacher, uh, English teacher, and I've come this year to feel much more confident in telling my juniors and seniors in high school, like, why do we have to read, St. Augustine's Confessions. I had them read that. That's a big book. He he goes on and on. His writing is really poetic. Um, and my answer finally just I felt good about saying because it's good for you mm. <laughs> because <laughs> it builds character. And of course, when you're 16, 17, you roll your eyes and that's okay. And I just decided, you know what? I'm not having them read it for their 16-year-old self. I'm having them read it for their 36-year-old self. So in 20 years, they will thank me Yeah, that they, they were forced to read it and will probably want to read it again. Um, and so that's what I think of when I think of um, living sacramentally now. It's not necessarily like the easy thing to do. It's not always easy for us to remember to stop and look at the sunset, but it is the good thing for us. Yeah. Like the, it's the eating the, the vegetables for us. Yeah. Love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the plan is in this, in this, um, series, A Drink with Friend, is that we're going to talk about the different ways life is sacramental. Not because we have all the answers or because we know what we're talking about, but because it's true for all of us. It builds character in all of us, uh, you and me, both Seth, but also those listening. And because it's good for us to remember. like It's good to remember at the end of a work week to sit down, to have a drink, and to remember what's sacramental. What What is the beauty in our lives? What's the mystery in our lives? And um, so that's what we're going to do for the next couple episodes. And 
since this is still the good list, um, I think it'd be fun for each of us to share one thing, habit, idea, or work of art that's currently making our life better, which really does tie in well with the idea of a drink with a friend. So Seth, I would love for you to start us off uh, sharing with the listeners and with me what you're into right now. Well, you know that I love novels. And Mm -hmm. you know that I think you know that I love David Mitchell, who's this uh, British author. He is, um, man, he's a fiction author, but as his careers unfolded, he sort of messes around, tinkers around in this idea of magical realism or or almost science fiction-y sort of twisty real fiction. It's, It's interesting stuff. All his novels connect, in fact, which I think is brilliant. Some people have described this as the marvelization of uh, his literature and they don't like it, but I, for one kind of nerd out on it. And perhaps that's kind of, I like comic books and I like Marvel. So I don't see that as a bad thing. I don't know who knows. Mm -hmm. Um, But currently um, he just released a book, um, but it connected back to an older book of his that I had not read. And the older book was called the thousand autumns of Jacob Dezote. And it's about a a Dutch trader who finds himself in uh, Japan and he um, falls in love with this uh, woman in Japan and um, who's actually working with uh, a fellow Dutch doctor. Um, And it's kind of this story of, of love, forbidden love. And I won't go into the details too much because it's so worth the read. Um, But what's really fascinating um, to me is that that doctor, Dr. Marinus is his name, um, actually ends up as an eternal character of good in the book, The Bone Clocks and later Slade House. And so it's super fun to hear him riffing on medicine and being a doctor and trying to save people and the nature of being and eternality and all of these things. Um, and I was like maybe a hundred pages in before I was like, wait a second, Marinus, I know that name. And I went back and looked at Bone Clocks and Slade House. And I was like, oh, I get it now. Um, so it's super fascinating. I love the book. It's also kind of a perfect book for what I'm drinking. So we've talked yep. and, and toyed around with the idea of pairing our drinkings with our books. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm drinking a Propel fitness water. again. <laughs> oh, gosh, so terrible. Um, but the book is actually really good pairing, um, because it's an aggressive book. It's, a uh, it moves, uh, in my opinion, I think the pacing of it is it's, it's good. It's like a good hard workout that doesn't stop. Um, Mm -hmm. it's kind of a page turner. Um, there's some physicality in it. And, um, you know, I think, Ultimately, to me, I like it's kind of a workout for your brain. So um, I think it kind of goes well with what I'm drinking. Very cool. I like that pairing. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's good. Sometimes you stretch for things, but it, it didn't feel right. like much of a stretch. So I don't That's know. Good. I don't know. And That's I good. know what you're going to talk about, and I'm mm-hmm. kind of excited about it. All right. So this pairs very well with cinnamon tea and my um, desire to pretend like it's fall because. What's on my good list is the Inspector Gamache series. Have you read this stuff? I started it and um, okay. f- because a mutual friend of ours, uh, Carolyn McCready, mm. rec- recommended it to me. Yes. All right. So um, this is a series. This is not literary fiction. So you don't read this to um, 
be wowed. And I say this with all due respect because she is fantastic where she's fantastic. But Louise Penny, um, it's not necessarily she's not um, she doesn't have a way with words. I'm going to say there are some things that make me crazy about her writing in terms of um, it, it's quite unfiltered and she hops around with point of view sometimes and she's a little repetitive, but that's okay because where she excels are character and setting and honestly, even plot. She's really good. So um, the inspector Gamache series is about a inspector with the Sûreté de Quebec. And I'm saying that awfully because I don't know French, Um, but it's in the region of Quebec in Canada. And he is, Armand Gamache is the seasoned inspector where he starts off. He changes roles throughout the series. Um, And it's just cozy murder mysteries, to be honest. I mean, it kind of takes the flavor. I I wouldn't call them pure cozy murder mysteries because they're not really quite in the same realm of Chesterton or Agatha Christie, but you can tell this is where Louise Penny has been inspired. Um, And so Really, this entire series is on my good list because I've been reading them all during the pandemic. I started the pandemic back whenever it started. Um, I think I was on book four. And Wasn't that I, back like a decade ago? Isn't that, yes, is that was. right? Yes. It was, so it's been 10 years and I've read. Um, and so I believe it goes through 15 books now. And actually, book 15 came out in September of this year of 2020. So it's very recent. And she puts out a book a year. So this is her thing. I've heard Louise Penny on interviews and someone's asked her before, do you ever get sick of writing about this place and these characters? And she says, no, because I literally don't have any other ideas. And I love how honest she is about that. So (laughs) she's just good at what she does. In other words, she's not trying to win a Pulitzer Prize here. She's trying to tell a good story. And so to me, this series is a great one for when you want a good story. Um, and when you want a good setting, so it's set in this little idyllic village called Three Pines. It almost feels fictional. I've looked up, I've looked it up. It is fictional, but she bases it on the village where she lives in Montreal. Um, and so it's it's gorgeous, and it pairs well with my cinnamon tea because it looks like that's where you would have cinnamon tea. Um, and so out of the fifteen, there's definitely books that I like better than others, and I can put in the show notes which one I like. But um, just to name them, especially for the diehards listening, because I know I've got some listeners who love the series. Number so far, my favorites have been number five and six, which is kind of a part one and part two of the same uh, mystery. So it's called a brutal telling and bury your dead. And then number eight is a beautiful mystery, which is amazing, and it takes place in a monastery. And some people don't like it because of that, because it's not in Three Pines. And then number 11, which is called The Nature of the Beast. That one rather blew my mind. So um, those are my favorites. So I tell you this because in case you're listening, I mean, sorry, in case you're reading early on and you're thinking, what is the big deal about the series? People are raving about it and they're just kind of okay. That's how I felt about like the first four or first three. I was like, yeah, these are right. Four got really good. And then five was like, okay, I'm hooked. I'm going to read this entire thing. So um that's what I think. Yeah, I love that. I actually started um, the first one and mm-hmm. and and actually I finished the first one. I got all the way through the first one and I didn't move on to the second one. Um, I enjoyed it. But um, I, the reason I picked it up is because I had told um, our mutual friend Carolyn that I'd never really gotten into murder mysteries. And so she said, this is where I needed to start. And I did. And it was lovely. It was good. Um, but I didn't keep going. But why I'm excited to hear you talk about that is because I told you at the beginning of the pandemic that I also was reading um, sort of crappy, uh, fun, <laughs> crappy writing, good, re- good writing, yeah. uh, good storytelling, not so great writing. 
Um, right. and, and it was Dean Koontz. And the farther I got into Dean Koontz, I was like, you know, sometimes he swings a little purple, but um, he's actually not a terrible writer. It was surprising mm-hmm. to me. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think whenever you read one author continually, you see, at least I do, how their writing gets better. And that gives me hope as a writer, you know, when I read some of my old stuff and realize, oh, I've gotten better. That That's kind of the same with, with published novelists as well. <laughs> that they can write. Uh, yeah. 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 A hundred percent. And I know we're both, we're both kind of tinkering around with fiction too. And so, I mean, that, mm-hmm. it's a totally different craft than nonfiction. And so watching is. authors get better over the progression really gives me hope because sometimes I feel like, Ooh, my fiction's not so great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I know this will be a whole episode where we talk about writing and sacramentality, but my writing teacher, my writing coach, I was telling her about how I'm loving these books that aren't brilliantly written, but they just suck me in. Why do they suck me in if the writing is not great? And she has some really good things to say about that, that it's not always about the turn of phrase that keeps us going. It's about identifying with the story. And so if you can get lost in a story, if you forget your reading, then that makes what she says a good story huge one to me yeah 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 that's that's about as sacramental as it gets when it comes to reading absolutely hi tish my name's Jeanette, and i'm calling from cambridge england to tell you about a work of art that's getting me through the quarantine Um, It's actually a publisher. It's called Persephone Books, and they're out of London. And they reprint neglected fiction and nonfiction by mid-20th century, mostly women writers. So they have just over 130 books, and they're beautifully bound, all have matching covers, but different interior um, and papers. And the shop in London, though, of course, it's closed right now, is really beautiful. So I I recommend it for your literary London trip or any other time that you are in London or for any of your listeners. And the book that I've ordered this week is called Good Evening, Mrs. Craven, The Wartime Stories of Molly Panter Downs. And she was a British woman who wrote over 850 pieces for The New Yorker throughout most of the 20th century, and they've reprinted a lot of her work. So these are fictional stories about um, wartime in England, but she was mostly concerned with the home front and what people's lives were like. So I'm really excited to dig into that. Um, They've got a really broad selection on their website, and you can kind of search thematically, um, and they have new prefaces and things that are written by modern writers. So I really love Persephone books. And I know that some of their titles are available on Kindle as well. So even if you can't get to the shop or have it shipped to you, you may be able to find some of their work on Kindle. Um, That's all from me. Thank you so much, Tish, for all that you're doing. Really love your work. It too is on my good list. Bye. All right. Well, Thank you to Jeanette for sharing what's on your good list. I would love to hear from you. So call and leave a short voicemail. The number is 401-684-GOOD. And tell us a habit, an idea, a thing, or a work of art that is making your life a little bit better these days. You can find links to all of my work, my books, and my newsletter mostly at tishoxenwriter.com. It's just nice and simple. So Seth, tell us and tell the listeners where they can find more of you. They can find me at sethhaines.com. All of my handles are at Seth Haynes, anywhere you use one of those little funny signs, the ad signs. 
Um, and then I'm on Substack at sethhaines.substack.com. That's my, my monthly newsletter. That's right. Cool. All right. Thank you for joining me here, Seth. This is really fun. I'm looking forward to deep diving more into this conversation. I think our listeners will too. Man, I cannot wait. This has been great. Thanks. It's been good. All right. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. And thanks as always to Caroline Tassell and Kyle Oxenreiter for their help, as well as my furry intern, Jenny. I'm Tish Oxenreiter and Seth and I will be back here with you soon. Thanks for listening to The Good List. <laughs>